Well, good morning, all. We're glad that you're here. You survived Easter and uh, all that good stuff. And uh, I just wanted to say how proud I am uh, of you as a church. Uh, last week, we had 501 people here. So uh, that was kind of cool. As you can tell, some of them didn't come back this week, but uh, that's because of the band, not because of me. Um, I'm just joking, just joking. Um, But uh, what I want to thank you guys for is so many of you spent a lot of time and energy uh, working uh, in multiple ways uh, to try to, uh, you know, make sure that that event was so great. So thank you for your servant hearts. Um, It is really a joy uh, for me to be your pastor. And uh, last week was just uh, exciting uh, to kind of see that. Now, this morning, we're beginning a brand new series called Inseparable. And I want us to look at a passage of Scripture uh, over these next three weeks that is one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible. It's in Romans chapter 8. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to dissect uh, this passage. Now, this morning, we're going to begin by looking at kind of the, the central focus of the next three weeks, although we won't jump into it today. But I'd like us to just kind of read it together. It'll come up on the side screens. And uh, let's read this passage together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is a very powerful text. And it's basically kind of saying this. That it is the nature, it is the character, it is the heart of God to be able to build a relationship with you that is always filled with love and that nothing will ever be able to separate you from Him. No power, no evil, no circumstance, no dumb choice. Let me just say this, folks. At the jar, it's okay not to be okay. Okay? It's okay not to be okay. And God says in this passage that you can become so close to Him that you could say, We're inseparable. You would be able to say that we are linked together, that we are close, that we're tight. Now, the best way that you can build an inseparable relationship with God is by taking a book called the Bible and getting connected into it each day. That you would actually open it and allow those words to connect with you. I mean, if you want to know somebody pretty well, you try to listen to their words, right? You don't just jump into a relationship with someone. You want to know what they're about. Well, if you want to know what God's about, you read His Word. And we have Bibles that are in the uh, conference room, and you can pick that up. And we have a five-minute plan, five minutes each day, in which you can read the Bible and you grow closer to God, and you are no longer inseparable. And for some of you, uh, the Bible's free, so you can just pick it up. But today, the best thing that you could do is get to the conference room, get the reading plan, just five minutes a day, and read the Bible. Now, I want to share something with you that you might want to write down, and it's this. I can't read your Bible for you. If your Bible is going to get read, it's going to be read by you. There are no proxy Bible readers, okay? You have to read it. But I'm telling you, when you do, there is life, and there is encouragement, and there's power that comes from it. Today I was reading, my plan was in John chapter 9, and I was reading the story about a blind man. And he simply said this. He said, I was blind and Jesus made me see. 
And so in my prayer this morning, what I was praying was, God, I don't want to be blind. I want to see what you see. But I want everybody here this morning not to walk away blind. How could I have figured that out, folks? Watching CNN? No. I had to take some time. It only took me five minutes. Only five minutes. Now, I have been uh, reading in Romans 8 this week. And as I've been reading it, I have found it to just have some really powerful words to discredit some of the myths that are in our culture. Those half-truths or no truths at all. And one of the myths that we often have is that we can be separated from God. I mean, you can screw up bad enough that eventually you can be separated from God. And there are some myths that come along with that. The first one is this. My sin separates me from God. My sin separates me from God. Now, some of you are sitting there, well, that is the definition of sin. It separates you from God. But hold on for just a second. This is a myth, folks, because it's only a half-truth. It's kind of, sort of, kind of true. Unconfessed sin, in other words, those things in your life that you do that are wrong and you know that they're wrong, but you don't want to admit that they're wrong, and you don't want to change, you don't want to do anything different with that. If you choose not to confess your sin, those things that you mess up in, God can't forgive you. Now, people will say, you mean God won't forgive? No, God wants to forgive you. He's like, here, I want to forgive you for these things. But you've got to ask for forgiveness. It's like with your kids. If they mess up, you know, how do you know that they really understand that they're forgiven when they actually say, ah, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. I forgive you. It's the same way with God. The Father can't forgive you unless you confess what you've messed up in. But each time we confess, He will forgive you. Every time you confess, He will wipe the slate clean. He no longer brings it up. He's not like your friends or your spouse or your family, you know, that in a real heated moment, you're like, you remember what you did back in 1999? God is a God of amnesia. He's like, I I forgave you. Why are you carrying it around? Now, How do you know, or how do we know that our sin can ultimately, that it does not ultimately separate us from God? How do we know that our sin ultimately does not separate us from God? Well, if you would, this is what refutes it. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, the myth is, my sin separates me from God. Look what this says. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The idea is, yes, we will sin. All of us will. We'll all mess up, flub up, screw up in this life. But we do not have to feel condemned. God doesn't do this. He doesn't take you and put you in the penalty box for 30 days. 30 days in the cooler. You're mean to your wife. Ugh. No, He doesn't do that. No, God says, not even your sin will be able to separate you from me. If you come to me with a repentful, honest heart, I will forgive you. I want an inseparable relationship with you. I want to be linked to you. He says, so when you sin, confess your sin quickly, apologize, and put your hand in mine and let's go. I will not condemn you. You don't have to keep beating yourself up over and over and over again. Just confess and let's go. Now here's a second myth that's in our culture. It's this. My fear of abandonment. My fear of abandonment will separate me from God. Now some of you were abandoned by your parents. Some of you were abandoned by your spouse. And I'm sorry for that. I really am. Some of you have been betrayed in different relationships. And so what happens is when you experience that, you start to think, you know what? Maybe that's what's going to happen with God. Maybe God is going to leave me too. 
And so you get afraid of being abandoned. And look at what the Bible says in Romans 8 again, verse 15. It says, For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship and daughtership. And we cry, Abba, Father. And that word Abba literally means Daddy. It's the picture of a small little child who comes up onto the lap of their father and they're kind of being held by their Heavenly Father. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. Now, some of you may have been raised by uh, a father that wasn't very affectionate. Uh, I, on the other hand, was not raised by a father who was not very affectionate. In fact, he was sometimes overly affectionate. He hugged on me. He would put his arms around me. And I know this is weird, but he would come up and he would kiss me at weird points. Like when you're receiving an award in high school and everyone is watching you and you're like, Dad, hold back. But I'll tell you what was really interesting to me. Other, uh, uh, some of my other friends, when they would come to our house, they loved to hang out with my dad. Because my dad would put their, his arm around him or he'd say, hey, buddy, what's going on? And he'd always give hugs as uh, those boys would leave because their fathers weren't that affectionate. This verse is talking about, folks, an affectionate relationship with your heavenly father. And it's saying you can be so connected with God throughout the day that you could kind of feel His embrace all day long. That you could walk through your day and experience His embrace. And you would think that is the warmest, the most supportive, the most encouraging and loving personality in my life. And God says, don't let your fear get in the way of our relationship, of us being inseparable. Here's a third myth that our culture often has. It's this. That the reason we can be separated from God is because of your weak prayer life. My weak prayer life. You just say, you know what? I know God wants to get rid of me because I don't pray enough. I shoulda, coulda, woulda, but I didn't. And He just doesn't want much to do with me. That's probably going to separate me from God. Look at this next verse. It says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Folks, I love that verse. I hold on to it sometimes. Because sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but my prayer life gets very messed up. It gets confusing. Sometimes I don't even know what to pray. And sometimes I pray things that sound really dumb, and I just kind of sit there in the midst of all of it. And I'm like, ah, oh, God, you know, can you do anything with that? And God's like, don't worry about the words, Chris. Nothing can separate us. I'll give you the Spirit's help right now so that you could share exactly what's on your heart. So that you and I, we could be inseparable. Folks, this chapter is saying that the myths are wrong. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate you from God's love. Not your sin, not your fear of abandonment, not your weak prayer life. Nothing can separate you from God. Now, the, for the rest of the time, what I want us to talk about is something that I often think people think separates them from God. And that is when we experience pain or suffering in our life or adversity comes to our life. I mean, we're cruising along. Everything's going pretty good. We're, you know, keeping... Uh, our life cleaned up, we're trusting God, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, whammo! We get slapped up the side of the head. 
We get a letter in the mail. We get a pink slip from work. The police come and knock on your door and they tell you that your kid was at some wild party and now you're going to have to deal with all of that. And what happens is when those moments come, everything just kind of gets turned upside down. I was golfing with a buddy of mine this week. And uh, we were golfing, and, and he started to tell me the story of a friend of his whose uh, son recently had a child, and the child died at three months to Sid. And we're standing in the tee box, and he just looked at me and said, what do you do with that, Chris? I mean, what do you do with that? And I just looked at him, I said, I don't know. I really don't know. Folks, that's hard. That's like really, really hard. And some of you have experienced some hard, tough stuff in your life. And when that happens, we look and we're like, that can't be true. This can't be happening. God would not allow that to happen. And then you realize, yeah, He allowed that to happen. And then you go, well, how close do I really want to become to a God like that? And people then just kind of drift away from God. Now, kind of the the key verse to understanding adversity in your life is what we're going to look at for the rest of our time together. It's in Romans 8.28. And this is what it says. And we know that in all things, in all of the good things, in all the bad things, in all the things that are in between, in all things, we know that God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, a couple years ago, as a church family, we took a spiritual growth survey called Reveal. And basically what it does is it tries to reveal the spiritual growth of your church. And there's kind of this spiritual growth continuum uh, that we'll kind of look at. And uh, that's not it. We're going to actually put something in there, okay? Some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, I knew I shouldn't have come the second week after Easter. Now we're getting weird, okay? But that's not the case. Um, And what we found was this, that the first circle that you're looking at to the left of the cross are what we call explorers. These are people who are exploring their faith. They believe in God, but they're not so sure about Jesus, and um, their faith is not the central point of their life. And uh, we have, when we did the survey, about 25% of our folks are at that point. So about one in every four of us are kind of there. And we love that. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm glad people are exploring. They're trying to figure those things out. Then the cross kind of represents when people finally take in that step across the line of faith and they say, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And they choose to get baptized. And for some of you... You might choose that choice today to say, you know what, if you haven't been baptized, what's holding me up? And you could go to the class today and we'll go through that. And so uh, we hit that point. Then the next circle is what we call beginners. Beginners. And these are people that believe in Jesus and they're growing closer uh, to uh, Christ. And uh, we found that in that group we have about 40% of our folks uh, that are kind of connecting in that way. And then the next circle uh, is what we call the intermediates. Uh, These are folks who are close to Christ, and they kind of depend upon Him uh, for their daily guidance. And we found out that we have about 20% of the people uh, in that kind of segment. And then the final circle is what we call Christ-centered. And we found that we have about 15% of our folks that are there. 
Now, our hope is we don't care where you're at on this thing. We just want you to be taking steps towards Christ's center. And however long it takes, it doesn't matter. But we want you to take steps. And we have a group of folks right now that are working really hard. How can we help people to take next steps to grow? And uh, we want them eventually for them to get to that Christ-centered place because that's the place where you say, the most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus. And everything in my life guides that decision. And so we're trying to develop this. Now, in looking at this continuum, I have a question for you. Where do you think people get stalled at in this group? Okay, When do you think people stop growing on this continuum? Turn to the person beside you. Come up with something. If nothing, just say a word. Okay, But figure that out. Now, the place where they find that people get stalled out the most is between kind of the beginner and intermediate places. That for some reason, they get to that point and they just don't grow spiritually anymore. Now, the second question, and maybe even more important to ask is this. What causes them to get stalled? What causes people to stop from continuing to grow? Well, the Reveal study, who's done this with thousands and thousands of churches, found out that the reason that people get stalled is, is a very difficult circumstance hits their life. It's something that knocks the wind out of them. And they are so shocked or hurt or disappointed by someone or something that they just kind of walk away from God and the church. And here's the key, folks. They stop doing the things that were helping them to grow. They stop reading the Bible. They stop praying. They stop coming to church. They stop connecting in their small group. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Have you ever been there before? I mean, I have. And when this happens, when the wind gets knocked out of us, We just go, I don't think I can pray anymore. I don't think I can do that church thing anymore. I don't think I can connect anymore. Now, the central verse to all of this is Romans 8.28. No matter what you're going through, God says, just hold on, hang on to my hand. Because we know. We've experienced, we've read, we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Stalled out people eventually say, this God thing is not working. God stopped working. And so when the wind gets knocked out of them, they get stalled and they're like, I'm done. Stalled out people say, this can't work out for good. This horrible, bad thing that just happened to me, there's no way good will ever come out of it. So I'm just going to distance myself from God and the church. Now for the rest of our time, I just want to answer two small questions that focus on this passage of Scripture in Romans 8.28. The first question is, what this Scripture does not say? And then secondly, what does it say? So what does this scripture not say? It does not say that all things generally work out fine in your life. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that all things generally work out fine in your life. It does say that God will meet you elbow deep wherever the struggle is that you're going through. And He will start weaving and orchestrating the tough stuff in your life in such a way that eventually He will work it out for good. You'll be able to sit eventually and say, even that bad, horrible thing, God did good out of it. Now, it doesn't mean that God 
works through our tragedies in such a way that we always experience comfort. God doesn't work out everything for our pleasure. He doesn't work out everything for the bottom line, you know, that you can get rich financially. But God works out everything for your good, for what you need for your good, which often means a greater faith in Him. You become more sensitive to the pain of others. You learn more about what this life is and what this life isn't. That's the deep work that God does. Now, this scripture also does not say that God causes all things. It does not say that. This verse does not say God causes all things. You know as well as I do that we live in a world that has evil. And when the evil one is at work, and he's referred to in the Bible as a thief, Jesus actually said this about the evil one, Satan. He said, a thief, the evil one, comes to steal and kill and destroy. When I see horrible things that happen in this life, my first reaction is not, God caused that. My first reaction is, the evil one is at work again. So when I see on the news that the Syrian government is killing its own people, when I see starving kids in Africa, when I see a child that becomes molested or killed, I'm not even tempted, folks, to put that into God's responsibility department. I'm willing to say the evil one is at work. He loves that stuff. He loves to cause chaos and confusion and hurt and pain in this world. And when you see flooding, like you've often seen uh, in our country and in other countries, is that an act of God? No. It's not an act of God. It's typically rising waters going into people's houses who built too close to a river. That floods. That's why water goes into people's houses most of the time. There are natural forces at work like tornadoes in southern Indiana. There are airborne diseases. None in this room, but there are airborne diseases outside this room. And some of them you're going to get, and some of them you're not going to get. There's physics and gravity and economics and fluctuating markets. And when you bump into these forces, sometimes it turns out bad. So evil's at work. There's natural laws at work. And we know ourselves, folks, that we cause a lot of our own pain and badness and tragedy in our lives. One of the people last week who shared a hundred words of their story. I'll never forget the day he walked into my office and he said, my wife is divorcing me. And I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, now how can I pray for you? And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, would you please pray that I will change? I caused this divorce. I need to grow. And he said, my addiction... My behavior drove my wife away. It's on me. And I was really grateful for his honesty because it was a period of my life in which all of a sudden I started reflecting on my own life and looking at it. And I started reviewing it and I thought, you know what, that's true about me. There's a lot of things that have turned out bad in my life, folks, simply because I've made poor choices. I've had bad judgment. I have had harsh words. I've had impulsive action. Just before uh, we started the jar, my wife Jennifer and I uh, decided we probably should go on a vacation because we knew there was going to take a lot of energy to start something brand new. 
And so we did. We uh, took a vacation to uh, the 49th state of the Union. And uh, if you would, why don't you guess to the person beside you what you think the 49th state is, okay? So go ahead, take a guess. What is it? Okay. Now, if you said Hawaii, guess what? You're not smarter than a fifth grader, okay? <clears throat> it's Alaska. Look, some people are really mad. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. So during our trip and our time there, what we decided was we were going to travel to uh, Denali State Park. There uh, is where you can see Mount McKinley. And so we decided we'd go there. Now, on our way, we're driving this small SUV that we've rented. And uh, we had it weighed down with everything that we brought. And we had bought some other things for family and friends. So it's weighed down and we're heading there. But uh, I didn't think too much about the fact that a weighted vehicle may have, like, less gas mileage. And so we just kept going. Well, eventually we were arrived at Denali. We went and did the whole trip uh, the, inside the park, and we had a good day. And we're getting ready to leave, and I look at the gas tank, and it's half full. A little bit over half, actually. I'm thinking, no big deal. We have plenty of gas. So we started, and if you've ever been to Alaska, they don't necessarily have gas stations very close to each other. And you start weaving around, up and down and over and under and all this kind of stuff. And I look at the gas tank, and now it's down to about a quarter full. And, you know, I'm getting a little concerned at that. And um, I'm thinking, you know, we're going to run out of gas. And my wife's going to kill me. Because we're in the middle of nowhere. So the gas gauge goes down eventually until it gets, you know, to that point where it's on that little red line, but you're thinking, oh, we got 50 more miles, you know? And uh, it's like, woo! And uh, I kind of looked, and I thought, man, i got to confess now, because we're in a danger zone. I mean, we are on fumes right now. And I go, honey, I think we're going to run out of gas. Now, what she said next cannot be repeated in church. <laughs> but within 10 minutes, folks, the SUV, it stops. And she looks at me. She had read, like, all these things about bears killing people who get out of their cars. And she goes, whatever you do, don't get out of the car. Just stay here. And me, you know, being a man who listens and loves my wife, I jumped out of the car as quickly as possible. And I waved down this big RV. And uh, they're from Kentucky. And uh, they said, I said, hey, this is the situation. They're like, oh, we'll, we'll go get some gas. We drive 40 miles in their RV. We don't know who they are. You go to, it's not even a gas station. It's just a convenience store that in the back of their house, basically, there is gas. And the guy comes out there and he gets it for us. We paid 50 bucks for five gallons of gas. So I'm looking at this guy and, you know, he's like, now make sure you bring the gas can back. I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. He said, no, 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 I really mean that. Because uh, he started laughing. He goes, I got, I got a, my brother's up there with a gun and uh, he's looking out the window. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Well, I walked out of the little place. I look up, and there's the brother. He's got a gun, and it's aiming. Look at that. I'm nervous telling what I'm talking about right now. He's aiming it straight towards the road. So we go. We get the gas. We bring the gas tank back. And as you can tell, I did not get shot at all. Now, we're driving now from this place back to Anchorage. And I thought, man, you know, the church would not have even happened if the Unabomber would have shot me, you know? And I thought about it a little bit more. I thought, I wonder what people would have said if I would have got killed. They would have said maybe something like, well, you know, Chris was trying to protect his wife from the bears. And he went out there and he didn't quite make it, you know? Or I thought, well, you know, they might say, the evil one knew that Chris was going to be this promising leader, and so he took him out as soon as he could. You ever hear me people make statements like that? God statements, or they make some big thing that, oh, this is what God did, or this is what happened. 
Folks, be very, very careful when you either make those statements or you hear them. Because as I was driving in Alaska, you know what the truth was? Bunch is an idiot. He didn't fill up his gas tank in the middle of Alaska. There was no heaven or hell kind of forces coming in there. He just made a foolish mistake. And friends, sometimes we make foolish mistakes. We wreck something. We wreck a relationship with our child. We wreck a marriage. We wreck our business. Sometimes it's just us. But the point of all of this in our verse is this. In all things, even in the things that either we do to ourselves or is done to us, in all things you go through, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That brings me to the third thing that this verse doesn't say. It does not say that God works for the good of everybody. It doesn't. It doesn't say that God works for the good for everybody. This is a provisional promise. It's a qualified promise. It is not for every Tom, Dick, and Harry. This is only for people who have invited Jesus Christ into their life and they're living in the family of God and they're doing their best to try to grow closer to Him. Now for some of you in here, that should bring great comfort to you. You're in the family of God. For others of you, it should be a wake-up call today to say, you know what? Man, I'm outside the family. I need to make this commitment. I mean, if for no other reason why you would accept Christ, and I would encourage you to do that today, is because you can have this verse and it can take root in your life. And from this point on, you'll know that God is working for you. Even in the bad stuff, He's going to work as hard as He can to make things good. This verse says that the all-powerful God, who is watching over 6 billion people and other planets and so forth, that when it comes right down to it, what this verse is really saying, folks, we already said what it's not saying, but what is it really saying? What it's really saying is this, that God, when you give your life to Him, that He will involve Himself in your life to make something happen, something good happen, no matter the circumstances. God promises, I will never let you go. God will involve Himself in your life. He'll never let go. Nothing will be out of His notice. And no matter what happens, He will work 24-7 constantly trying to bring good even out of bad things that happen to you. Now, folks, that's a big promise. I know that it takes a lot of faith. I get all of that. But when you start believing that, when you hang on to it, it transforms you. It transforms the way you act so that when bad stuff happens to you, you don't wig out. When I first became a Christian and something bad would happen in my life or in the world, I'd be like, ah, yeah, right, God. Yeah, like you're going to actually step into this thing and make good out of it? Yeah, right. Good luck with that. But now that I've been walking with him for about 20 years, I'll tell you folks, there's been a lot of bad stuff that's happened in my life. And I've got to tell you, I think very differently about my life than I did 20 years ago. And now I'm like, man, there have been so many experiences in my life which God has proven Himself faithful and He's actually turned things into good. Now again, He doesn't turn things into my pleasure. He doesn't always turn it into my comfort. He doesn't always make me financially rich. But He turns bad things into my life into good. 
And the longer that I'm in a faithful relationship with him, I realize that. And the longer that you're in a relationship with that, you should live that way as well. Some of you uh, know that when we first started uh, the jar, we met in homes. And then we uh, grew too big for any home, and then we started meeting upstairs. And in February of 2004, we were meeting upstairs, and our attendance had gone from 25 people to 8. And it was the lowest moment uh, that I could remember of being the pastor here. And I remember getting so discouraged And uh, I just felt like I was in this pressure cooker kettle kind of thing. And I was just filled with anger, mainly towards God. And the day of our Valentine's dinner, which we only had eight people go to, but we all went, we had 100% attendance, Jennifer came in and she said something. And I got so angry that I remember going to the bathroom and taking the shower curtain and slamming it down and putting my hand through a wall. And then we had to go to the Valentine's Day dinner and to be all happy Christian with my hand swolled up like this. And I remember the shame of having it underneath the table during that entire meal. And then we had to go to the hospital where I had to get an x-ray, and my wife's a doctor, and all of them knew that if it came back broken, that I had hit a wall. And I remember shortly after that, I stood up before uh, just a little handful of folks, and I told them kind of what happened, and I said, hey, I'm seeking some counseling. And I remember saying, I'm really discouraged right now, and I feel like a failure. And I'll never forget, one guy walked up, and he was like, We know you're a screw-up. Get over it. Just lead. Lead the way that God's called you to lead. And so what we did was we took pretty much all the money that we had. We rented out a movie theater where we gave out free tickets to show the passion of the Christ. We rented out the Children's Museum for a follow-up and where people could drop their kids off. And all of a sudden, the church just became outward-focused And we wanted people to know about this loving God. And you're here because this angry, depressed, disappointed pastor who put his hand through a wall, God said, even in the midst of all that craziness, I'm going to do something good out of that. A couple of years ago... uh, Our entire staff left, except for me, mainly because God had called them to other places. But I had to hire three people in about uh, four or five months. And the first position that we had to hire was the worship leader. And as we were uh, looking uh, for this, we got this resume from a guy who had been a worship leader at a church of over 800 people. He was amazing. He had, like, videos of, like, you know, like, Jesus was just coming out of him, you know, and and worshiping uh, or leading people in worship. And uh, I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is going to be the guy. This is definitely it. And uh, all of a sudden, um, two days before the interview, because he had family here, he's like, oh, this is the place, you know, I'm really excited. I really think I could work. Two days before the interview, he said, yeah, I'm not coming. And so I go back to the group of guys that were interviewing. I said, you know, he's not coming. I remember driving away from that meeting and thinking, God, do I have to build this entire church by myself? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Think about that. The God of the universe. Six million people. Do I got to do all this by myself? Wimp. And then all of a sudden, we interviewed this college kid that was at Ball State, and he was just awesome. And we found out later on that not only did he have that skill set, but he had the skill set of leading student ministry as well. And he came in, and, and Derek does an amazing job in both of those areas. And that other guy didn't have that set at all. And you know what I've learned since then? That over the last 10 years, the guy that we would had, have had hired... He has been to five churches in ten years. 
this was not going to be his place where he was going to dig in and do life deeply together. I'm so glad he didn't hire me. Some of you know that about four years ago, right after I had Jordan, uh, or my wife did, my wife and I, uh, I had some chest pains. And uh, I went in for an EKG. I uh, had uh, the treadmill test. I did a uh, cardio light. It was real scary for us. We had a little baby and kind of scary time for our family. Eventually, they ruled out everything that was going on. And uh, I remember just kind of thinking, God, you know, is anything ever going to come out good out of all this that we went through? And looking back, I can tell you several things. One thing is I've slowed down a lot from where I was four years ago. And uh, now when the staff comes and they're not feeling well or they're stressed out about something, four years ago I would have said something like this, get over it. We all got stressed. Get over it. Now I'm like, man, I understand that. And I understand what people are going through in a very different way. You know, I'm 40 years old now and I can look back on my life and I can just see God's hand moving in different things that seem so difficult and tough and yet he turned things out of good to me. Now, let me share one more thing before the, the band's going to come up. Um, there's a diagram I want you to look at. It'll come up here on the uh, side screen. And this is called our life cycle. Now, some of you right now, you're at the top of this. You're at BP, before pain. Some people can go through 20, 25, 30 years of their life. And uh, something bad doesn't blast until then. But you can go 20, 25, 30 years of your life, and then bam, something hits. But it hasn't happened for you yet. And so you're sitting there right now, and we just did all this stuff on Romans 8, 28, that God really does work good for all things. And you're sitting there, and you're thinking, good verse, bunch. You know, a little bit long on the teaching today, but good verse, you know. Way to go. For you, this is just like a theory, you know. It's not anything big at all. It's just kind of a theory. Then there are some of you that you've had some bad stuff in your life. You're over on the right-hand side there. IP, your IP. Right now, today, you are in pain. You're in pain. And Romans 8.28, for you right now, it is like a lifeline. You're holding on to it the best way you know how. And if you don't grab onto it, folks, what you'll do is eventually you'll find yourself drifting away from God and you'll fall into depression and you'll stop reading your Bible and you'll stop praying and you'll stop doing the things that help you to grow because you're in pain. It will just consume you. But if you hold on to that promise that says, God, even in the middle of my pain, I'm going to trust you that you're going to do something good. Sooner or later, you'll do something good even in the midst of my pain. And then there are some of you that are on the left-hand side. You're at after pain. You're recuperating from something, but you know you're done. But eventually, you know that you'll probably go right back into that circle again. And for these folks, after pain, Romans 8.28, it's like a treasure for them. I mean, for me personally, folks, you cut this verse out of my Bible, I can't hardly exist. I'm relying solely upon that promise that in the midst of anything you go through, God will eventually bring good. Now, I'm going to just kind of close this in prayer, and then we're going to have a final song called You Never Let Go. And this is the way we're going to kind of do it. I'm going to say a prayer right now 
just for those individuals that are at eye peace. You're in pain right now. You're going through something right now that is so hard. It could be anything. A relationship, death of a loved one, a medical issue. It could be anything. And what I'd like us to do right now so that no one gets embarrassed about anything, we're just all going to close our eyes and we're going to pray, bow our heads and pray. And if you're in the IP kind of area right now, you're in pain right now, I invite you to just stand right where you're at. You don't have to say anything, do anything. No one's going to do anything. But when, if you feel like right now, you know what, I am in pain right now, that you just stand. No one's going to, don't feel embarrassed by this. We've all been there, or we will be at some point. But you just stand right where you're at. Don't be embarrassed. I just want to pray for you. And I want you to know that God is not going to let you go through this by yourself. And eventually, he's going to bring good out of you. And if you're not standing, if you're after pain or you're before pain, I'd just like you to just kind of pray for the people that are standing. Just kind of pray for them. that they would just hang on during this difficult time. God, thank you for staying close to us. Even when we go through some really painful stuff. We are so grateful, God, that you choose never to let go of us that nothing can separate us from your love. God, people are standing right now and they just need to be reminded that you are with them, that you're for them, that you will never let go. Help them to know right now, God, that they can That whatever they're going through, even if they can't see it now, eventually you'll bring good out of it. God, you're still on the throne, and we worship you. Because we know that there is a light that is coming for each heart that holds on. Hold on, God, to these folks that are standing. I invite all of you to stand as we receive God's promise.